Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Saints at Cowboys, Thanksgiving Day. Marco, who do you like and why? Like the Dallas Cowboys. New coach, new attitude, and there's still value, I think, with the Cowboys based on their bad start at the beginning of the season. Is it all right? So really, the val the the question for a handicapper is which of these Cowboy teams are genuinely the team? Uh, is it the team that's played quite well the last two weeks, or is it the team that was one of the worst teams the first chunk of the season? Now, clearly, it's the same players. So this can only be mindset, you know, motivation. So when you look at this Cowboy team, what are you seeing that makes you think it is the last two weeks is, is more genuine? Well, first of all, RJ, one of the, you know, we talk about different theories of handicapping, and one of the things that you do look at is when there is a coaching change, there is generally that little upbeat, that spark of life into the team. And when it does work, and you've, you know, they won the first week, they come back and won the second week, it becomes the old theory that you don't get in front of a streak. You stay with it. Uh, until it changes, and I think playing on... But hold on, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, but then you just said something that feels a little too simple, is if you don't, as you say, get in front of a streak, if you don't buck a streak, let's say, then that seems to contradict a lot of what we talk about, which is when you see a great performance on TV or a team has rolled off a couple of games... We look to fade them oftentimes, saying they're overvalued, this all happened on TV, and I guess my question is, what's the distinction? Well, I think what you just brought up about being on TV and people seeing, that would be a discussion for next week after this game, because how many people saw Detroit play Dallas last week? That was not a marquee game. If you weren't in Detroit or Dallas, you didn't see the performance. So this is a situation, national spotlight. It's a Thursday game. It's the only game going to be played at that time. The whole world will be watching Okay, so what you're saying is that the whole don't don't buck a streak isn't what we're trying to say here. We're trying to say that you've seen a fundamental change in the way the Cowboys are playing, and the public has yet to catch up to the fact that this coaching change has led to a fundamental change. I, exactly, but I still talk about momentum. When you have a team that has the momentum, then then that goes back. If you have it, let's say they let's say the Cowboys win by by twenty one points. Now, are you going to look to play them next week? Um, if the value when I see the line come out, if they well, yeah adjust yeah, it. but they're good. That's the whole point. If you if the Cowboys make a statement on national TV this week, mm-hmm. next week the. the there's going to be a premium back on them, you would think, because in general, Dallas has a premium on them in general. Absolutely. So you would buck a streak in that case. Uh, It's too easy to say that just in one, because let's put it this way. If they win this week, I probably would not want to buck them because they have momentum. But if they didn't have the new coach and all of this, it would be a perfect letdown spot, I will say, because this is kind of like their Super Bowl, playing 
you know, the Thanksgiving Day feature game, playing a team that is going to be in the playoffs, the Saints, uh, it is a natural letdown. But because of the coach, I don't. I just have a rule. If a team's playing well like that because of something out of the ordinary, and, and go back to baseball season, I talked about this with Gill on his podcast. The Baltimore Orioles this year, when they fired their manager in midseason and hired Buck Showalter, they went on a run, and they went on a run that lasted basically the rest of the season. It, you know, and there was a lot of value on that team because baseball is such a long sport, and they were an underdog people that kept taking Baltimore in that underdog role made money. So that's a question for next week. But for this week... Right, but, but what I'm trying to... What we try to do here is break down the games, but also try to teach how to handicap. Yeah. So I, what I'm hearing you say is this, is oftentimes what appears to be a fundamental difference in a team is just a random good performance. And oftentimes we want to buck that the next week because there's an overreaction. We keep talking about that. People overreact to things that happened recently. They overreact to things they see. You're saying that sometimes things that you see are genuine. There's a reason you're seeing it. And thus, though you might be paying a premium, you don't necessarily want to fade it. Maybe it's even a pass. And that's something we've talked about with Boise State. Mm -hmm. Again, again, we know there's a premium on them. But we think it's justified. What you're saying is if the Cowboys would win here, you wouldn't look to bucket, but you would think that the premium that you would expect next week would maybe be justified. It would balance the, it would balance the playing field with it. But for this week, what I've seen from the Cowboys in two weeks, and again, you're looking at they played the Giants where they ambushed them two weeks ago. The Giants you know, probably didn't take them serious enough. And then last week, let's, let's not get too carried away. It was the Detroit Lions. But this week they're playing a Saints team, and the one thing that does cause me a little bit of pause with the Saints, um, it, it's a kind of a revenge thing, but it's not a big revenge one. If you remember last year, the Dallas Cowboys are the team that ended the Saints' perfect season last year. They went very deep. They were into December, you know, before they lost their first game last year, and it was. So you're looking at that as potential motivation for New Orleans. That that would be the one factor that gives me pause with taking Dallas. Yeah, if you know, this would be a great spot for revenge mm -hmm. for that on a national audience. Here's my takeaways. One is this matchup proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, and and actually there's another matchup that this week that fits into this category that if you strictly use statistical handicapping, you're not getting the whole picture. I mean, this literally is the same Dallas team player-wise than, you know, that they got killed a couple of weeks ago. Psychology, motivation, mindset matters. So the stats can tell you things you can't see with your eyes, mm -hmm. but you better be thinking about how hard are these players playing. And, and if there's ever been an example, it's the Cowboys here. I also think, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this in a webcam video, so uh, it'll probably be instructive for you, too. So go to <laughs> pregame.tv, and in the next day or so, we'll tape it on Tuesday. I'm going to have a webcam video that talks about the following concept. This is a game not to tease. No matter what, it's likely going to have polarized results, which means extreme or extreme. The Cowboys either... It's been fluky, and they're not really playing better, and they're going to you know, probably get beat pretty bad here. Or they are a very different team, and they have a good chance to win the game. 
the lines maker doesn't know what the answer is. So what he kind of does is go in the middle, mm -hmm. right? You're thinking it is a different team, thus there's value. Your play is all about the Cowboys the last two weeks are who the Cowboys are. The lines maker's not sure of that because some people think otherwise. But the key is there's probably going to be an extreme result, and thus the seven points or the six points of the tees isn't worth a lot. But I'll go a little deeper into that on my webcam. So I think that's an interesting point. I had one more, but you want to jump in? Um, one of the other stats that I have here, and again, this is a, a Dallas-based stat, and we're doing it with the old players, but Dallas, the last three years against the NFC South, they're a perfect 6-0 and against the spread when they face the All right, so my, when I hear that, my first thought is that's meaningless. Now, what, where do you divine the meaning in that? Well, it, it's playing that division, and this is New Orleans that is a team out of that division, and they did play them last year, and they did beat them in their only loss of the season. And, and that's the, that's the, the, the part. Not their only loss, but their first loss. That's the part of this where the – with trends where it's it's not all science. You've got the trend. The question is, is there logic behind it? On that one, the logic doesn't jump out at me, but it's an interesting conversation as we look at these trends is what's it really saying? Now, here's one I actually think, and again, that's my opinion, that I think there's some logic to. Saints are 10 of 12 ATS, so 10 and 2, against losing home teams. So you keep hearing about the Saints being... Uh, you know, a really good home team, not as good on the road. But 10-2, and two, when they play a home team that isn't very good, defined as a, a losing team record-wise. Now, that, though, goes back to which Dallas, team, which Dallas team is it. My last point, and then I'll let you do your official projection here, the Cowboys are used to these Thursday games. They play Thanksgiving every year, right. and though there's been some change in the coaching staff, Garrett's been there for years, is I think that's an advantage. Uh, let's be honest. How many times a year does an NFL team play on Sunday then play on Thursday? And they were home last Sunday to boot. The, the Cowboys the were. The Cowboys. So even you know better for them where the Saints have to do the travel. One thing that I'll add to the Saints, the Saints have won five of their last seven games, and now everybody's you know kind of giving them the big group hug again that they're back. Because remember, the Saints struggled at the beginning of the season. But if you look deeper into those five wins, three of those wins, two of them were Carolina, and one of them was Seattle. Really not the upper echelon of the NFL, to say the least. So I still think that the, you know, there's a little bit of a mirage here with the, the Saints, that people think that they're officially back. They've just been playing some bad teams and pounding them offensively. Their defense is still suspect, and they've played teams that really can't score. Yeah, I disagree. I looked at the ESPN rankings and I looked at the top eight that just came out today on Tuesday, and the Saints were eighth. And, and I looked at it. I think the case could be made that any of the top eight teams are the best team in the NFL. The Saints team I saw against the Steelers, and, and, and what really made me perk my ears up is when you said their defense is suspect. From what I'm seeing, that defense has turned around. And the way they played against Pittsburgh, to me, was very impressive defense. There's no question the Pittsburgh win is their signature win on the season. But let's not forget, too, that Pittsburgh was in the middle of, that was the second of a three-game road trip, and it was a Halloween night atmosphere. It's a pick game. They won by 10. They overperformed. Give us your projection. <laughs> and Heath Miller fumbled late in the fourth yeah, quarter. He's always going won. in at three. But... I like Dallas here. See I that bell, the, the phone ringing saying you've been talking too long. Give us your projection, baby. 
I thought I was being saved by the bell from you. But anyways, <laughs> Dallas, 27-24, they get it on Thanksgiving Day. Okay, now it's your turn to continue the conversation with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking about the other Thursday game uh, on ESPN, Texas A&M at Texas. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. Texas A&M at Texas, Thanksgiving Day or night. I'm not sure. Mark, it's night. It's night. It's night. Who do you like and why? I like Texas in this game. It's a big rivalry game. Short week for A&M. Both teams short week. But Texas played Florida Atlantic, which was a cakewalk. Texas A&M was in an absolute physical battle against Nebraska last Saturday night. Late Saturday. So you think about it, this is, this is almost a perfect storm where the schedule will have an effect on performance. Physical game, then traveling versus a almost a buy, a quasi buy for Texas at home. So to me, you might almost say nothing else matters in this game unless there was a real reason not to like Texas. The, and, and again, this is something we talk about again and again and again is factors that can be identified and then accounted for in the line don't mean anything. But that's the kind of stuff with the scheduling and the physical versus the almost the buy that the lines maker doesn't seem to account for as much as he should. No, and when you've got a Texas A&M team that's won five games in a row now and until last week when they were held to nine points, which, you know, by the way, I went against Texas A&M last week as, you know, our best bet on the show. If you would have told me prior to that game, hey, Texas A&M's going to score nine, how much do you want to bet? I'd be, you know, broadcasting this week from the strip in a box because I would have bet the house. But it was a physical the game. strip in a box? What does that mean? I, I would have been on the Las Vegas Strip in one of those cardboard boxes. Oh I, would have lo- I would have lost my house. That, that <laughs> would be a sight. <laughs> but th- this is a situation that Texas A&M, it was a dogfight. If you watched that game last week, it was physical. Nebraska got called for 16 penalties in that game. You know, and Bo Pelini just went crazy on the sidelines. But I've got other stuff other than the perfect storm. So let me ask you this. All right, so we've identified the schedule. Right. You also talked about five straight wins for an A&M. They've actually covered all five of those. Yes, they have. So Vegas has undervalued A&M in general, though sometimes with a marquee win like that on TV with a lot of attention, there can be a real reversal from undervalued to overvalued very quickly. How much does all the hubbub about the referee and uh, officiating, how much does that affect that performance? Does it, in a way, for the public, mitigate A&M, got a bunch of calls, that's why they won? And did you watch the game? I did watch the game. How, do you think the officiating was, was unfair? I do think that it was, but, of course, I was a little bit biased in the game because I, you know, I had a lot of skin in the game on that play. So if that's genuinely the case, we talk about going inside the box score, you're saying A&M's win here was aided a little bit, which means it was even probably, there's going to be even more of an overvaluation from it because they really didn't legitimately perform as well as it would seem. Right, and you combine that with the penalties, RJ, in that game also, going into the game, Martinez, the quarterback for Nebraska, you know, had been banged up, but he was okay to start that game. He was fine until his center stepped on his foot at the end of the first quarter, early second, and he didn't, you know, he didn't play the rest of the first half. Came back in the second half, but didn't play as well. 
tough calls, hobbled quarterback, that all adds up to the performance on ESPN highlights looking better than maybe it legitimately was. It was. And then the other thing I got, flip it back to Texas. Here's a team that's got high, high motivation. It's a rivalry game, and normally they're the team that's the favorite, and A&M's the underdog normally in this series. So now it's a role reversal. And Texas players, this has been a bad season for Texas. Let's not kid anybody. They're sitting at five and six. The motivation for Texas is not only to knock off the rival, but they don't want to be the first school Texas football since 1997 to have a losing record. Okay, interesting. I thought you were going to get into bowl eligibility. Now, is this Texas, is this their last game? This is their last game. So this is up for bowl eligibility, right. too. I actually think that bowl eligibility, I had a little trouble last time on that, might be a negative here for Texas. And college football is a sport I've got some friends in coaching. When a team is a national, I mean, quite frankly, last year they played for the national championship. Right. The idea of going to the Alamo Bowl or is almost a negative. They have to practice an entire. People forget they. If you don't make a bowl, you're done till spring ball. You know, lifting or whatever. They got to practice an extra month. Go travel for five. You know, five days. In a way, subconsciously, a lot of these players don't want to do that. That's a little left field kind of angle mm -hmm. there. Now, th one thing backing up Texas here, home team has covered. 10 of 12 in this series. So it, it's a rivalry, and like you, you, you've been talking about uh, to me, and you're going to do a webcam. Why don't you explain that on this, the concept? Yeah, check my homepage later in the week, and I'll post it in the MarcoDiangelo.com. And I'm going to talk about how to handicap rivalry because it's a totally different handicap, guys. If you handicap strictly looking at statistics, you're going to get killed this weekend. All right, so in this game, take a highlight. What are you looking at in this game that if this was week five would be, is different because of the rivalry? Well, this is a situation that normally in a rivalry game, I have the bias that I am going to start on the dog every game this week. Because they start, tend to be closer than numbers indicate the game. Right, and when you do handicap teams, the team that's the favorite late in the season generally has more on the line. Maybe they're playing for a BCS ball. Maybe we're going to talk about a game later where a team's going to be playing for the national championship possibility. It's all things that put added pressure on. The team that's the underdog may not be going to a bowl game, and this may be their bowl game, so to speak. All right, so I I'm not interested in the generic stuff. What are you? That's on your webcam. Right. I, I'll watch it. What specifically is applicable in this game? In this game, it is the underdog that's trying to spoil the favorites party and send them to a lesser bowl because they've had a bad season this is their chance to play spoiler. Is a team that played the national championship last year really going to be motivated by that? I can see a team that hasn't made a bowl for five years and then this is all they got. For Texas it's almost like if my mom played one two no limit and there was an $80 bet, it'd be like the most exciting thing for her. Like, oh, my God, 80 bucks is on the line. If someone plays 10-20, no limit at the Bellagio, $80 is something that they, they flick out there like a peanut. Is I get that handicap if Pitt hasn't made a bowl for three years or West Virginia hasn't. They want to beat Pitt and make them not win the Big East or whatever. I totally get that. But is Texas really going to be motivated by that? 
you got to listen to the your rival, you know, do the trash talk for a whole year when you lose. So is ta- and that's the thing. I'm an Ohio State grad. I understand Ohio State, Michigan. When we talk about that game, I'm not going to question Michigan's motivation. I'm not going to question Ohio State's. Is, and again, maybe you don't know because geographically we aren't exposed to the same things as people in Texas. Is A&M Texas at the level of Michigan Ohio State? Texas A&M Texas would not be on the same level as Michigan Ohio State because Texas has another game every year that's a rivalry, and that's the Red River shootout with Oklahoma. But I can say from the Texas A&M side, which doesn't benefit my Texas play here, this game is that big to A&M against Texas every year. But because Texas is the team that's the I'm, I question Texas's motivation here. And and in general, I do think A&M's a little overrated. So it's almost like you know, pro one side, con the other. It's a pass for me. What's your official projection? I've got Texas winning the game 26-23, pulling them out, upset, take Texas on, on Thursday to kick off rivalry week. Last stat, Texas is 2-9 and nine against the spread versus winning teams. I'm starting to wonder, this McCoy, he's quite a pro quarterback at this point. Surprisingly good, I think. Surprising me, definitely. And Vince Young's one of the best college quarterbacks ever. I mean, we can, Tommy Frazier was too, but people don't think, you know, pro doesn't matter when it comes to this stuff. I'm wondering if we're, this whole idea that Texas is like a Florida, is like a USC, I'm wondering if they've just had a couple, you know, they've been one echelon down. Maybe they're a top 15 team talent-wise, and they've had two quarterbacks that just have been really good, and this year they don't have it. I don't see how you're two out of 11 against winning teams, ATS, and there's not something fundamentally wrong with this team. I, I, I think they, as a program, they might be a little bit overrated, because uh, there's only, you know, high State, USC, there's only a handful of teams, Oklahoma, but even last year, Oklahoma went 6-5, and five, that win every year. And I'm not sure Texas, for, you, know, ta- you know, too deep or three deep is as good as some of those other teams it, over the last few years. Maybe the quarterback has been the thing that's made it seem that way. Well, you have a good offense and a strong defense, which they've had the last several years. That is definitely a key for success. You know, I'm 2-0 and against you with our heads-up bats. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, is this where I want to fire? You know, actually, there was one game of yours I hate. So I'm going to hold. So here's a little tease as we move on here. One is Marco is going to pay me the nickel he lost last week, and we always do that on camera for your enjoyment. And And number two is... I'm going to be fading his best bat with a big bat myself, which is rare because Marco's best bats are serious. So we got that coming up. Now you can continue the conversation with Marco and me in the comments section. And next up, we're going to be talking about Auburn at Alabama on Friday. Auburn at Alabama with big BCS implications on Friday. Marco, who do you like and why? I like Alabama. The key to stopping Auburn is stopping Cam Newton. I think Nick Saban is the type of coach that can get a game plan together to stop one player. It's a good point is the the scout type guys believe that Saban and Alabama defensively, schematically, are the top defensive team in the country uh, because of the level of coaching. And you're right, Newton does represent... A, a, an uncommon 
factor in the game. So, so I, I, I love what you're saying there. You know, and I go back, I mean, you've got recent examples. I mean, the last couple of years in the SEC, it's been Alabama and Florida. And what's Florida had? Florida was run with Tim Tebow. And, you know, he was able to hold his own against Florida in those games. So I like him here. Looking at this game offensively, defensively, we can talk all you want to talk about Auburn's offense. It's great. Their defense is just putrid. We've said it time and time again. Alabama is going to be able to go on long, sustained drives against this defense. That's one of the best ways to keep Cam Newton in check to start with is when you've got him on the sidelines. You know what this game reminds me of? Michigan State-Iowa, which was your game of the year, which won. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got an undefeated team against a really good home team, and the undefeated team is suspect. And in that case, you were laying six and a half with Iowa. I thought it was a little pricey. Mm-hmm. Do you see the analogies in this game? There's definitely all kinds of similarities there, and we're getting it just like the Iowa game. You're getting it at home with a you know a big atmosphere, and this is a you know you can't get any bigger than here. This is probably next to Michigan and Ohio State, Alabama and Auburn is probably one of the most you know, famous rivalries you have. Now, one of the recurring themes this week is how rivalry handicapping is slightly different. There's other factors to consider. How, in this case, maybe not at all, how does that affect your handicap on this well, game? Well, one of the things I told you is I always look at the dog first in a rivalry game. But in this one, it's different because the dog is the one that has everything on the line, everything to lose. They're going to the ones that you know can come into this game a little bit tight because the golden, the brass ring is in their grasp. They win here. This is really their their game to the national championship game because everybody, it's a foregone conclusion. Whoever they play, you know, in the SEC championship game, is going to be a step down from Alabama. Yeah, though I do want to make a point. I know in the Boise game you're going to be talking about that the way Alabama Auburn turns out earlier in the, on Friday is going to affect your handicap on the Boise game. But let's be honest, how big of a favorite? So, so it is South Carolina, right? It'll be South how big, what's the line on a neutral Auburn-South Carolina? Is it more than four or five? It, depending how this game plays out, it, you know, if Auburn yeah, that's wins a good convincing. Point. That's a good point. But it's, it's less than a touchdown, right, even with a convincing win. I think with a convincing win, it's going to be closer to seven because the one not but even there at seven, it's not like an easy, an easy game. I mean, seven on a neutral. Looking at it point spread wise, yeah, but I think the the general consensus is the South Carolina defense is not a strong defense. They will have trouble containing Auburn. Uh, they do have a good passing, you know, offense. South Carolina, they can trade points with them, but I just don't think that they can upset them. We haven't this week talked much about the intentions of the bookmaker. That's something you talk about a lot is what are they trying to do? I think they're trying to get Auburn action here because I'm, usually I can look at 9 out of 10 games and tell you at sportsbookspy.com where on the, leading up to the game, but most of the betting happens the day of the game. So on the day of the game, you can go to sportsbookspy.com and you can actually see the bet percents on each mm-hmm. team. I can predict 90% that who's going to have more bets. Mm-hmm. This is one I don't know if I know because I, th- I would think you would get 50% Auburn action if this line was minus three. 
So to me, so let, let me ask you this. If, if the line was Alabama minus three, how would you project the bet percent split? You know, when you ask me these questions, it's because I look at it in a contrarian view. I, you know, I read it. You know, you always make fun of me. Well, let's just make the line pick and, you know, then you'll take the team. But I'm, I'm kind of making your point here is I think they could have split the so, – so please, just answer my question. We'll get to your point, I promise. But I gotta, there's a purpose to this. If it was Alabama minus three, what do you think the public action would be? I don't think it would have been much different because the, the people that like Auburn – see, I already know what so the bet percentages my, are in this well, game. Well, what are they? They're betting Auburn in the game. But the line's going up. The, okay, the so that's that's my point. You're making yeah. my point. Is they're betting Auburn at four, four and a half right, right now? I'm saying that you'd at least would have gotten 50% Auburn at three because the theory is I've got a team people's talking about as the best in the country mm-hmm. getting points against a down Alabama team, which that's illegitimate to me. I, I think Vegas has them fourth in the country or fifth in the country above Auburn right now. But you're getting uh, over a field goal with saying Alabama's the better team. It seems like they want Auburn action, which is the point I'm trying to make here, which makes I, Alabama the side. I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and the difference in this game is going to come down to the Alabama defense. Alabama has held four of their last five opponents to 10 points or less. And let's not forget, if they didn't have that narrow loss at LSU a couple weeks ago, we would be talking about this game where Alabama would be a one-loss team playing for the national, having a chance to get back in the national championship. So when that's assessing how how good Alabama is, that's a valid point. But it seems to fly in the face of one of your pet theories, which is a team after they lose the game that destroys their season goal is – usually underperforms. Now, I thought about that while looking at this game. I think there's two things, excuse me, that make that less the case here. One is it's been enough weeks where, okay, they've had their, oh, my God, I can't believe it, and then eventually they're like, okay, I'm actually, you know, we're going to play hard because, hey, how long can you be disappointed? Not to mention that's where I think the rivalry handicap comes in. Absolutely. That's the big part. The rivalry here is they want nothing better than to ruin Auburn season. This is their arch rival. This is the one game on the schedule every year. I mean, people in, in Alabama, families fight this week. You know, they've gone to the two different schools. It's a heated rivalry. And, you know, in the South, football is, you know, is much huger in the South than it is other parts of the country. This is a game they want to have end Auburn season. Don't let them play for the national championship. I think there's another factor that is rivalry handicapping, which is the home team advantage, the home field advantage, is often stronger. Uh, Usually from the fanaticism of the crowd, the whole town, the whole community is focused on the game. And the the stats back it up. The home team has covered five of six in this series. Now, Auburn actually is a poor road team. Even with their national championship type season, they've only covered three of 12 on the road. You've got a bad road team. You've got a probably slightly overrated Auburn team. You've got a motivated Alabama team that's got the coaching that is able to stop Newton. I th- this was almost my best bet. So before you give your official projection, um, do you agree with me? Generally, in rivalry games, home field has a greater significance. Absolutely, and I, I will say one note on that on rivalry week. I think the Saturday games 
have more of a crowd than the Friday games simply because a lot of the student body does go home for Thanksgiving. But then on, and then they're back, they're not back Friday, but they're back on Saturday? You've got a day to come back to school. Mm, that's interesting. That's a subtle point. Official projection. One, oh, I got one other point oh. that I got to make. This is a big game. Alabama has played in more big games than Auburn, you know, because mm. of the national championship, because of the SEC championship games. Good so point. It, you know, it's all. Yeah, li- this has been an all star Marco performance. Well, thank you, sir. Projection Alabama 35 27. All right, I agree. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're talking the last Friday game we're going to cover. We got Boise State at Nevada. For free real time odds, lines, and scores, visit pregamelines.com. Boise State at Nevada. Marco, who do you like? RJ, this is one of the rare occasions where we take we always take midweek, but and things generally don't change. This is a game that definitely swings on the outcome of the Alabama Auburn game earlier in the day. So I'm going to actually give two picks on this play, depending on if Auburn wins and if Auburn loses, and I'll explain them in this video. Okay, so let's assume we both we just talked about it. We both think Alabama is going to win. So let's assume Alabama wins. What's your handicap in that case? In that case, if, if Alabama wins, I like Nevada plus the points. And the reason for that is... Bo- what now? I like, Neva- <laughs> I like Nevada plus the points. All right, so let's think. I, I almost, I, you know, I didn't know your pick. I about did a double take there. Let's, let's think about that. So Auburn loses, which means that Boise has a clear path to the national championship. And you want to fade Boise. Yes, I do. <laughs> All right. I, you are Marco D'Angelo, 25 straight baseball winners. <laughs> Explain it to me. Well, what's going to happen is the, the line's sitting at 14 on this game right now. If Auburn loses, the line's going to go up because the public is going to rush to, to Boise just because now they're in that must win. There's a difference. The last few weeks when we kept talking about Boise and all the pressures and so forth and having to win, the difference was they were in a must-win, but they didn't control their own destiny. If Auburn goes down, they now are still in that must-win, but they control their own destiny, and it actually puts more pressure on a team because you win and you're in. Nevada, that takes this rivalry to another level with Nevada because they want to be the team to knock off Boise and end their dream season. I like the dog here if the national championship is on the line. You know, I've been trying to teach you something about Boise the last few weeks. (laughs) I have not made a wager with or against them the last two weeks, though. So I haven't lost any money. And the thing I've been trying to teach you is this team is fundamentally just a different team than the average out of, you know, non-BCS conference, hey, we run up a lot of big scores. I'm going to throw a few numbers at you. Usually, if you have a team in such a small conference that everyone in the country is aware of, that has a great offense, usually fading them is the best thing in the world because they're always overrated. Mm-hmm. Like the UNLV teams in basketball back in the 90s, they were usually good bets against because everyone wanted to bet the team laying 32 you know, on the road or whatever. Look at these stats. I said it last week. They've covered 14 of 17 as a road favorite. 
which is supposed to be the squarest play, the, the, the marquee team on the road, 14-3, and three, against winning teams, which you would think, oh, they're, they're not going to play, they can beat up the, the sisters of the poor. 39-14 and 14 ATS. End of the year, maybe they're not physical enough, they're getting tired. 35-14 and 14 ATS. I mean, these aren't 58%. These are 70 75% trends over 50-plus games. This Boise team, you're telling me for the first time in four years that they've been good, or you know, however many, I guess it's even been more than four, that they finally can see the national championship in their sights against an Oregon team most likely that they've just beat last year. They are good, they, that's when they're going to finally fold. <laughs> okay. Do you I'm, want to revert? Because I've never got you to reverse your no, pick. I'm going to give my Lee Corso imitation. All right, all right. Not so fast, my friend. 2007, <laughs> Nevada, Boise State, Boise State, minus 25 and a half. Final score, 69-67. 2008, Boise State, minus six and a half. They only won 41-34. They were in a dogfight. They did cover so they by, a half, by a half, but they were in a dogfight well, you know, with You Nevada. know a team is good when, when, when they cover, you're pointing it out as an underperformance. Boise State last year, minus 12, 44-33. They didn't cover. Nevada plays this team tough. All right. Now, that's a different conversation. I get All right. So, Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the beauty of, of these numbers is that if it was easy, if the line was pick'em, we would all like boys. That's easy. You're saying, now what do you expect the number to go to? I expect the game to go 17. 50. I don't think it'll get to 17 because of Nevada being a top 25 team, but it's clearly going to get us over the two touchdowns, in which, you know, again, is value. So, and you're saying that you're getting some extra value, but you think net-net it hurts Boise if, if they have their own destiny in their hands. I do, because I right. think they will, they will pay just a little bit tighter, and it's going to keep Nevada in the game. Now, on the flip side to that, if Auburn wins, I'm not going to play the game straight. Let's back up a second. Just to be clear, though, if people want to follow you, do you wait all the way till game time on this? If so, if to let people react to the fact that Alabama yeah, won? Bet, it, bet this game bet is it as late, late as possible. If because you're the line's play the only going to go one way. All right, go ahead. All right, if Auburn wins and Boise's back to that, they don't control their own destiny. I like the over in this game. And based on what I just rattled those scores off to you between Boise and Nevada, Nevada knows how to score on this team. Nevada has an offense that's very potent and is going to put up points, and I think this will become a track meet type game where Boise, again, then you flip back to the style point issue where they're going to you know, keep trying to put up style points. So if Auburn wins, take the over. If Auburn loses, take the dog Nevada. Now, I, I, do like, I, I do like your theory on the over if they need more style points. I actually do like that. That makes a ton of sense. I'm going to make a couple quick points here. I think this Boise is such an, I think they call it an object lesson, just this idealized lesson, and sometimes there's a premium for a reason, and, and I think with this team the premium isn't enough. I also think there's another lesson here, which is most of the time you want to bet early. Most people bet game day, but that's allowed the wise guys to touch the lineup and adjust it throughout the week. To me, unless there's a reason 
bet as early as you can, and that's something you can do if you actually have, uh, you know, a lot of locals don't take early action. Pregameaction.com, you can actually get online books, and there's really good deals, and they're trusted and all that. I think generally bet as early as you can. This is an example where there's a fundamental handicapping factor that's yet to be determined. The other one is injury, typically, that you want to maybe wait late here, all right? But there's one exception to that, which is I'm going to be talking about in one of my webcams I'm going to do this week is a correlated parlay. I believe that if you like Alabama like I do, that it makes a ton of sense to bet Alabama and Boise in a parlay right now knowing that if Alabama wins, you've just gained some value on the Boise line because the line's going to go up. Mm -hmm. And I'll go into the math of that, and, and I can tell you were a little impressed by that, weren't you? <laughs> like, there was a, tr a little, your eye went, like, wow, that's a good point. I actually had something in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be moving. This will be the last... Uh, if you're listening to the uh, audio podcast, this will be the last one of this podcast. Move on to the next one. And for videos and everything else, we're going to be talking about all of the weekend action.